Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Do I usually call you healthcare humans on the podcast? I don't remember now. I I say it a lot when I'm doing like social media posts. So um, if that's the first time I've said it on the podcast, hey, I will try and continue because I enjoy calling people healthcare humans. It's just my extra bonus reminder that you are actually a human person. Okay. Um, so uh, today's episode is a topic that I am really looking forward to unpacking because I see how much pain and suffering it causes in the healthcare humans in my life, um, whether it's my coaching clients, whether it's my colleagues, whether it's my friends, and even internally for sure, my students, like everybody has these fears, these fears of what if my patient sues me? What if my patient complains, whether it's like complains to my manager, if I work in a hospital setting, like complains to patient relations, um, complains to my college. Um, And so not just having that fear, but taking a lot of action out of that fear. And you know, I guess if that action was all like serving us, it wouldn't feel good, but it would be okay. But I I see, you know, as I'm doing different workshops and I'm offering people different frameworks of how they could be approaching their work in healthcare in a way that is more sustainable for them. Almost every single time I give a workshop um, or talk, the question I hear is, but what about if the patient complains or sues me? And so um, I see a lot of um, examples of how people are taking actions now in their life that they don't even like taking. Um, so like excessively charting or excessively monitoring patients or, or you know, whatever it is, I'm going to get into some examples where they're taking a lot of action that they're like, the only reason I'm doing this is because I don't want a patient to sue me or complain to the college about me. Otherwise, I, I think this is unnecessary, but I'm only doing these actions out of this fear. So there's all of that, all the things that we think we have to do and we're only doing because we're afraid someone will sue us. And then when someone such as myself proposes like, well, have you thought about changing this or that? Have you thought about setting clearer boundaries? Have you thought about whatever? Then a common fear comes up is like, if I make a change, then I am opening myself up to the risk of my patient suing me or complaining about me, right? So it's 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 creating a lot of action that we don't want in our workplace. And it's also preventing us from taking actions that we want to do in our workplace that would feel better for us. So it's a really critical fear. So I kind of, I have like three cases and three examples and I'm, and my goal for this podcast is to just really try and like burn it into your brain how unhelpful this fear is. And, and I want to say up front, when I say unhelpful, I'm not shaming you for having it. Like this is like one of the major like 
fears we hand to each other. Like we're all like low key traumatizing each other. And we're like, did you hear about that person? They got sued for this reason and that reason. And we're just like sharing these stories around like war stories and just ramping up each other's anxiety. And, and, you know, when we're trained in school, like I was listening to my residents and they were talking about this like medical legal seminar they had to go through. And afterwards they did not feel more supported. They, they, the, the, the reviews I heard, which was not to everyone. Hopefully someone found it helpful. <laughs> but I heard from some of my learners that they, it was, um, they felt more anxious and more afraid of their patients and what they could do. And I'm just, um, I won't get on a full rant about how that's not the most helpful way to even communicate whatever information they communicated if they came out of their feeling more fearful, folks. But like, so we are doing this to each other. We're trained up in this fear. And I just, it is not a helpful fear to keep in our bodies. So it's fine if it's there. It's in, it's in my body too. If it's in your body, you're not alone, but we don't have to believe this fear. And if this fear is one of the major reasons you're not taking different actions in your life, I want to kind of just destroy this fear on this podcast and, um, please reach out and let me know how well I did and what I missed. And I will do more than on social media. And I just really want this fear to go away. Okay. All right. So the thing is, this fear is not only just unhelpful, but it is based on like a whole whack of thought errors. And I don't have like 50 hours to talk about all of them, but I'm going to use three different like scenarios in which I've heard people be like, but what about the college? What about getting sued? Um, as a way to illustrate three major thought errors that I hear people say, um, um, out of which this fear comes. Okay. Um, so first of all, I want to share what my belief and my observation is about why patients sue their clinicians? Why do patients take time out of their busy lives to initiate a lawsuit or initiate a complaint to a college? So far, um, please tell me if I'm missing something, but so far what I have seen to be true is that patients take this like excessive energy, get, you know, draining um, act- action if something bad has happened to them a bad outcome, a bad impact, a painful suffering impact has happened to their lives. It is, it is negatively impacting their lives and they want justice or compensation or whatever like words they use. They want something to help their suffering mean something. They want to, they, there's something horrible that's happened to them, even if it's purely their perception, of course, but still that perception is experience. So they are experiencing something really horrible happening to them and they want to fix that. And this is an avenue that they feel like they could fix it. That is why patients sue or complain. Okay. So something bad has happened to them. Okay. That is why they are suing or complaining. Okay. So my first example of a thought error that goes along with this most explicitly it's like the most glaring thought error I've come up, I've come to is um, in the domain of charting. So documenting a patient encounter. So right now, what I hear a lot of people say, and um, a lot of people share stories of like, oh yeah, I have to document in excessive detail. Otherwise 
um, I could get sued. And we say this to each other as well. It's like, well, I have to make sure I document everything about this. Otherwise I'm going to get sued. I have to make sure that my, my, I put all the details of the encounter and make sure I'm documenting um, every single thing that happens. Otherwise I could get sued. I heard of a guy and something happened to a patient and they sued and they were, they were missing this one really random fact. And then now this person's getting sued. So this person's getting sued because they didn't think of every single clinical test and pertinent positive and negative they could have thought of and put it in the chart. And that's why they're getting sued. Do you see the thought error? What did I just say is the reason that patients sue or complain? It is not because of your documentation. And please tell me the example if that's not true, but on the whole, patients aren't proofreading our charts and saying, hey, you missed that I said this. Now I'm going to sue you. The reasons that patients are suing or complaining is because something bad happened to them, right? And in, and so say this has happened. So someone has had a really bad thing happen to them, something really painful, very terrible, and they're mad and they want justice. And so they're deciding to do, you know, to sue or complain. And in the process of that, you know, the lawyer representing the patient is going to request the charts and try and tear them apart and look for all the gaps and ways in which, um, you know, you were not um, a competent clinician. And your lawyer is going to um, look through the charts as one piece of like document, you know, of the evidence chain and say, oh, look, you know, why didn't you document this or that? That would have helped our case, right? So for these reasons, our medical legal organizations ask us to keep, to help them make their jobs as easy as possible by documenting everything as thoroughly as we can. Okay. So notice that how thoroughly we document does not prevent the lawsuit from happening. The lawsuit is happening because something bad happened to the patient, whether it was because of your error or not. Like they have connected in their brains. There's some, maybe you did make an error, maybe not, but it's nothing to do with the charting. It is because something bad happened to the patient. So if you excessively and thoroughly document every single one of your patient encounters, you will not prevent people from suing you. You will not prevent complaints. It is not a magic spell that does something to someone's brain to prevent them from being sued, from, from suing people, okay? At best, your thorough, thorough documentation could maybe help your lawyer make a good case for you if you happen to be sued or complained against. That is what all of this action is doing. It is not preventing you from being sued. It is maybe, and I'm saying maybe, because we don't know what are the facts of this particular case. What is the specific thing that they're going to argue you did poorly, right? This is why we're, we're going insane with this. And this is why this fear has no end is because you don't know the bad outcomes that could happen to your patient. We have guesses. We, you know, do our best. We mitigate risk, but we don't know. So are you going to write every single word they say, right? And what if that's somehow problematic? Do you know what I mean? So, okay. We are not preventing lawsuits with our excessive charting, period. At best, we are maybe, maybe helping our lawyer, maybe, in a theoretical future scenario, right? So I wanted to give an analogy because I really want to destroy this one, okay? So, okay, 
So say you really wanted to prevent yourself from being hurt in a car crash. You wanted to prevent, you know, your body from dying or, you know, having a, like a very painful outcome to a car crash, right? So if you really, really wanted to prevent that from happening, you would never drive or be in a car. That is the only way to absolutely guarantee that you will not have ever get in a car crash. And if you get in a car crash that you will be, um, you'll come out of it unharmed. That is the only way. But we all drive all the time. We wear our seatbelts, we get like cars that are safe and have like airbags and safety standards that will mitigate the impact if we get in a car crash. You know, we use some small part of our brain, sometimes quite a small part of our brain to like scan our environment as we're driving to prevent crashes if we can. Most of us don't like wear helmets and like armor or like fill our car with packing peanuts or drive five kilometers an hour on the highway even though it's possible that those things would reduce the risk of harm in a car crash. And why don't we do that? Like if we really, really are so afraid of getting hurt in a car crash, why don't we either never drive or like wrap ourselves in bubble wrap and drive super slow and only go on all the back roads where there's no one there? They're inconvenient. They're costly. They're messy. They have a cost to our lives to do all of that excess risk mitigation, right? And in some cases, they actually literally make it more likely we'll get in a car crash, like driving five kilometers an hour on a highway, right? Okay. Do you connect this to excessively charting? Do you connect this to what I'm trying to sell you about the excessive car charting thing, right? When we pour excessive amounts of energy into hyper-detailed charting to the point where it's impacting our brains, we are literally making it more likely we will miss something or make a mistake. Either we're running super, super behind and now we're rushed and with the next patient we're rushed and we're still thinking about all the incomplete charts we haven't done and our bandwidth is getting slower and slower and we're literally making it more likely we will make a mistake that may unfortunately end up in a patient bad outcome. Maybe. It's still a maybe either way, but just notice that it's not actually protecting the thing you think it's protecting you against. If we have to make the chart so perfect that we actually don't even bother charting it until like two weeks later because we have so much excess anxiety about it, it needs to be perfect. How many more details have we forgotten in that in the meantime? So even like, okay, so I'm I, the reason I'm doing all this charting is just in case I ever get sued. So I'm going to make sure I do it perfectly. But of course, I only have 24 hours in the day, the same as everyone else. And I do need to see, you know, more than one patient a day. And so that means that I'm running further and further behind and I have a higher backlog of my charts, right? How's that going? Are you losing sleep? So say you're losing sleep. How's that impacting your ability to have high quality patient care? If you're charting later and later, how is that actually impacting your ability to, to have the detail in charts that you even say you want, right? And how much of patient care is being delayed? You know, oh, I need it to be perfect. And so I'm sending my referrals a month later. And guys, if this is like triggering shame stuff, like I've done all of this, we're doing the best we can. And the reason I'm really trying to be explicit and kind of like harsh about this is like, so if the fear of being sued is keeping you from speeding up your ability to get your charts done, speeding up your ability to get to your referral and just get it out the door. This is a harmful fear to be feeding. I understand why that fear's there, but I really want you to see like, it's not serving you the way you think it is. And you can feel those feelings. I mean, you know, listen to my podcast about feeling feelings to understand how to process the emotion and, and actually go through it. But like, if there's any part of you that really, really believes that excessive charting is the thing that's going to keep you from 
being sued. I I hope that fear now is quaking in its boots because it is a false fear. It is not helping you. Okay. All right. I feel very strongly about that one. Okay. So really, so anytime, so if you in your own brain, or if you hear someone else being like, ugh, like I actually stop people with this one now. So especially when my learners, but anyone's like, oh man, and you know how we just have to keep charting more and more. Otherwise we're going to get sued by everyone. I'm like, that's a thought error. Let us pause for a minute and (laughs) unpack this thought error, please. Because really, well, the only thing you're doing, if you're excessively charting in high detail, is making a theoretical future lawyer's job easier. Or your end, including your theoretical future self's job, maybe easier, like if you're responding to a complaint. You know, maybe. You're going to put something in this note. You're going to, I'm not saying you're now going to not document. You're going to document for you. You're going to document for reasons that make sense, that are clear enough, that are focused enough, that have the key facts enough. But it's not going to be in excessive detail unless you really just want to make that future lawyer or future self's job easier if you happen to be sued or complained against. So do you want to do that? Like, what do you want to spend your one, you know, precious wildlife doing? Documenting, documenting in such excessive detail to hopefully help out your future possible self who might be sued or complained, or do you actually want to make your current and your current self and make your current and essential job easier now? Make it so that your brain is actually fresher and more focused and creative and not in constant fear of you know threat now, which in turn will lower your risk of ever needing that future lawyer's help in the future right? Okay. I hope that one is just fully destroyed in your brains now. It's, if it's not, I understand this takes time. This takes practice. Listen to this one a bunch of times. Reach out to me if you need further arguments about it. But I just think there's a huge thought error happening in a lot of how this stuff is communicated. Whoosh. Okay. Number two, when we say that we can't say no or set a new boundary because it will mean that a patient will sue us or complain about us. So again, thinking back, why would a patient complain or sue after being told no? The word no itself is is not inherently harmful. Like me saying no to another person does not harm them in any way. Like no. Otherwise, you could also go sue me because I've said no like a billion times on here. And apparently it's a toxic word that like makes your heart bleed or something, right? What else is actually going on here? And again, I'm going to give an analogy. Okay, so say my kid is running out into the street and I say no and I even grab them and um, because they're literally about to get hit by a car. Even if my kid or someone else like reported me to, I guess, the version of the college like FNCS or child services or whatever you call it in your neighborhood, would I regret my no in this case? I'm not saying it would feel pleasant if someone misinterpreted my actions and made a complaint and made like brought discomfort to my life, but am I now not going to say no or grab my kid? Of course not, because I am centered in my values and in, in what matters to me, which is like, you know, keeping my child alive, you know, I'm not going to blame myself or regret my, regret my choice I made to do this if someone misinterpreted my actions, right? And so really what is going on? if a patient were going to think about suing or complaining in a setting where you have set a boundary with them. This would mean this isn't a light thing. Cause like if a patient calls and is like, Oh, Hey, could I get my massage note from 
my doctor and they're like, no, you can't actually get it today. You need to do X, Y, Z. And they're like, that's it. I'm suing. Well, first of all, I just, that patient's got a real struggle with reality to deal with, right? And that can't be on me. But most people are not doing that. That's like not why most people would be complaining in a setting of someone saying no to them. It would be where in a setting where they have a really strong like desire, a really strong unmet need. They are suffering greatly and they think this no is preventing them from addressing it. And so first of all, like double check, is it true? Is it like, they're like, I have crushing chest pain, please help me. And you're like, no, <laughs> that's all you say. <laughs> I don't know why you would ever do that. Obviously you wouldn't, you know. Okay. So like, oh, they actually have a need and it is quite urgent and actually it does need to be addressed. And maybe I am the wrong, you know, they're calling their psychiatrist and like, I have crushing chest pain. Like it would not be appropriate for me to say, yes, I will help you. You can say, the way you say, yes, I will help you is by saying, no, I won't see you. Here's your nearest emergency room. Can I call 911 for you? Right? Like you are going to say more than no. I know like there's that phrase, like no is a complete sentence. And that's fine if it's the no for you, but because you are in the helping profession, you know, if the patient is like, I have this need, I have this request, it's going to be more than no. It's like, no, not today, or no, not for me. And instead, here is where your yes lies. Here's where you will get your need met instead, right? So, you know, they say, oh, I need this form filled out today, otherwise X, Y, Z. So how could we work through that, keeping our no, if we look at, at the whole situation, we're like, this is not in, it is not in my values to deprioritize other patient care for this item, right? So you could say, it's going to be a no for today, but feel free to drop off the form. The doctor will take a look at it when they can and book an appointment in the next XYZ days to weeks at where you'll be able to review it with them. And they can be happy about that or sad about that. And that is their emotions. And if out of that place, they decide to leave a bad review or complain or a lawsuit, that's their feelings and their stuff. And um, you can feel good even in the discomfort of whatever yucky thing that they're doing. Like you can still feel good about your reason why, you know? You know, they demand an appointment today and you have no appointments. Like, so where could you offer them. Okay. Here's your menu. You can either wait for Dr. Chan. Um, who she has an appointment later this week or next week or whatever you could, you know, write her a letter of your concern, or you could go to our after hours clinic, or you could go to a walk-in clinic. You technically could go to emerge. I don't recommend you do it for this non-urgent concern, but like, you know, this patient has choices. This patient has options. They have free will to offer it. And all your job is just to exercise your own free will to say no to this. And if they decide to sue or complain out of that place, you will feel good about your reasons why you did it. And couldn't it be that really what's happening is our system isn't designed, the supply and demand isn't matching. So there's more demand than there is supply. And that's incredibly frustrating for patients. And some of them have expectations that are extremely hard to meet. And some of them have extremely reasonable expectations and our system is letting them down. And maybe they feel so powerless that their only recourse is a lawsuit or complaint. That's not yours to hold. That's not a reason to take on the burdens of this whole broken healthcare system. You can still say no. And if nothing else, that means you will be more calm and sure of yourself and resourced for that complaint or lawsuit if it actually comes to you. And you will feel good for your reasons for doing it. And so you'll feel very calm and confident in your response.
it will be inconvenient potentially, but it won't ruin your day. And let's not let it ruin your day ahead of time by saying yes to a bunch of things you want to say no to, right? In order to maybe prevent a lawsuit or complaint, which could totally happen anyway, right? Okay. And then my last um, example is tracking referrals and test results. This is one sort of about like when it feels like the rules are too burdensome and excess work. Um, And so again, it's about dropping back into your own values and what you wish to offer your patients and where does it make sense? And so how do these overlap with the rules and are there places where they kind of don't overlap with the rules? So, um, and if you are really comfortable and confident in what you know is your value and what you know is the highest priority for you in terms of offering care to the patients and you check with the patients and they agree. And so you're co-creating the kind of healthcare that you know works for you and your patients. If some of the rules seem to interfere with that, perhaps this is about getting confidence to know that those rules aren't for you, you know? So the example that came up recently was like, you know, there's rules um, for my college of physicians so that you have to track your results. So if you offer a patient a test, you have to make sure that that test is followed through on and that you see the results, right? And so there's a way that I see many people interpreting this that's like kind of what I call babysitting medicine, where it's like, that means that they have to personally send a message to themselves about every single test that they've ever ordered. And then if it hasn't been done in a certain time frame, then they like call the patient or ask their staff to call the patient and like bug the patient until they do the test. And that just drains so much energy. Oh my goodness, right? And so if I know that like the spirit of that rule is like, yeah, okay, I want to make sure like say I I do a test for cancer and the test is done, I do want to make sure that I see the result. And I know our system isn't perfect and so sometimes things fall through the cracks and so I do want to make sure I'm aware, oh, this is an outstanding result and it's important to me that I check in with it. But how do I do that without absolutely draining all of my time and resources, right? So the options I think of are about delegation. So there are going to be some critical ones where you saw a patient and you're like, whoa, okay, I need to make sure that this test is done or this person is seen in the time in a very short time frame because it's a subacute issue. And like this, this will really negatively impact the patient's life like this week. And so that's one that I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to have it in my brain. I'm going to probably be, um, you know, sending a message to myself about those or have it on my sticky note or whatever. But that's a very rare, like maybe one in a week and usually not every week for myself in primary care, honestly. And then like, if it's like, I have way more than that, then really thinking through how urgent is this and who else can help me monitor this? So my, my own staff, can I message my nurses, my front staff, whoever, and say, this is important that it's followed up in this time frame. Can you please make sure that's done? Right. A big one where I'm delegating is to the patient themselves. So if it's an issue, you know, a chronic issue that they've had for a while, that's clearly important to them. Can I just put trust in them that if I give them tests to do, they follow through on it? And if they don't follow through on it, is that not them just really withdrawing consent to getting the test in the first place? And how is it actually not patient-centered for me to continue to berate and nag them into doing a test if they are saying through their lack of action that they don't consent to get the test done, right? That's a big one. Also, the system, like, you know, there are pieces of the system, like uh, in my province, there's a cancer care thing where, you know, patients get letters. And so, yes, we have our own staff 
um, offering appointments for cancer screening. But I also know the system has other ways. So I don't, if we can't get a hold of someone, there are other pieces of the system that are designed to help me make my job easier. So we don't have to spend excessive resources tracking people down who don't want to be tracked down by us, right? And then the last place that I'm doing a lot of delegation is to the robots, like automation. So there's, you know, now when I send out a message through a certain platform through my EMR, in a certain number of days, it will let me know if the patient hasn't seen it. I look at that message and then I decide, is this actually something that the patient absolutely needs to see? Then I might send a message to the nurse and say, please read this email to the patient. Or is it like, hey, Joe, your blood works normal. And in that case, it's like, okay, well, if Joe really wants to know, they have missed this email. But if Joe really wants to know, they know where I work, they can call and ask. And I feel like loop is still complete on my end. I am not going to track them down and like stalk them until they know their blood work is normal. I have offered. And for me, I don't know what my college says, but for me, I feel like I have done my best and that is good enough for me. And any more than that would be taking away from the quality patient care I'm able to offer my patients. And I feel really good about that because I've thought it through and I've thought about my values. Okay. So those were like the three examples. I'm curious what you guys are thinking. I'm curious about how your brain is taking. If you do have a really, really strong fear of being sued or having a complaint against you, are you having some yeah buts? Are you having some resistance to what I'm saying? Are you having fear of like, oh my gosh, we're allowed to do that? We're not allowed to do that. I don't think we're allowed to do that. Right? So just to say, it is so liberating to let these fears go. And we have been conditioned to believe like we have to follow the rules and we have to do things in excess and we have to do things that people have told us we have to do in order to prevent punishment, right? Like that's what we kind of have been trained to believe. So we we like, we get so obsessed because our brain believes that story. Our brain's like, no, no, no. This is like an active constant threat that your patient could be suing you or complaining against you. And the truth is it like a patient could be suing me right now or uh, launching a complaint against me right now. That Literally, that could happen all the time. Also, an asteroid could come down from the sky at any time. Like there's, tom- there's so much stuff out of our control that could absolutely happen any time. The thing that's inhuman is where we think that actions we take will really guarantee that that won't happen. They're like superstitions we take on. And, you know, there's some actions we take that, you know, have evidence of literally reducing error or whatever. And so especially if those actions also help you provide the kind of care you want to provide, go ahead. Like, I'm not saying we're like, oh, well, I can practice whatever way I want. People just sue me if they want to. Like with that attitude, like, but honestly, like if you really practice the way you wanted, you're a good person. I believe that completely because I believe patients, uh, people not just patients, all humans are like inherently good at our core if we don't think we're under threat, right? So if we removed the threat, how would you just show up in medicine anyway, right? But in the meantime, when this fear is running us, first of all, we are afraid of how we will feel if the lawsuit and complaint comes true, right? So what we are afraid of is our future feelings, because we think we will feel stressed, we will feel shameful, we'll feel whatever, it'll be so much. But do you notice when we are living out of that fear, one of the things we're doing is offering ourselves stress and shame and guilt right now. The thing we're trying to prevent is literally happening in your body. 
as you're working so hard to prevent it out of this place that doesn't actually feel good for you or feels unnecessary. You're pre-living your feared feelings right now. And often increasing the chance of them happening in the future too. It's so tragic. It's like a tragic irony, isn't it? So one critical thing, can you guess what I'm going to suggest? Practice feeling your feelings, sitting with discomfort now, right? So that if, when a lawsuit or complaint comes your way, you know you will have the most powerful support system available to help you with it, yourself, your compassionate self, the self that knows that I can feel any feeling. If someone sues me, it will not be my favorite day in medicine, and I have got my own back. I will know how to show up through it. I will take my time. I will tend to myself if that thing happens. But it's not happening now, and all of this fear is crippling me in a way that's going to make it actually more likely to happen, or even if it's not about actually more likely to happen, it's just making my life miserable now, right? You know that patients like sue and complain about us for completely random reasons that have nothing to do with us, right? We hear stories about that all the time too. And I feel like people don't say like, oh, and they just like throw their hands up. And I wish they would like throw their hands up and then stop doing all of the things that are making them miserable that they think are helping prevent completely random actions from happening to them, right? I will say in no detail, of course, but like I have recently experienced the pain and discomfort that happens of having legal action threatened against me for something that like was in my opinion was unnecessary in abusing the like the threat of legal action in ways that like were quite predatory and like so i had to make a choice about that cuz i could have said oh that means i can't keep showing up in this way i can't keep being who i want to be i have to like hide again or i could say it didn't mean a single thing about me it was completely about them practice self compassion practice help, like practice, like feeling my feelings to, to work through the discomfort of it. And then like move on with my, my life and not have it cripple me from this point on. Right. It is so liberating to let go of these fears. What if we knew and trusted ourselves well enough to believe in our innate goodness, in our own ethical and moral codes, and understand that when we're showing up with our deepest sense of purpose about why we are here offering this support to these other humans, this thing we call healthcare. We always have the option of feeling good about that work, even if it crosses, if it doesn't quite fit the mold, does it, it crosses a line, even if a patient misinterprets, even if it, a, a bad outcome happens anyway, we do get to still, it is available to you to still feel good about grounding yourself in your purpose of why you're here in healthcare, and um, showing up anyway. And a piece of what can happen is if enough of us do this and gain confidence in our own power and our own goodness, we could start to advocate for change. So, you know, you go to some medical legal webinar and they're saying this and that and just like, sorry, so like, what are the actual ways that we actually prevent people from suing us? Because I don't think any of this documentation is one of them. This whole webinar I'm actually just going to log off this webinar because I realize this webinar is actually all about like requesting that we make your job easier, but you're doing it in a way that's actually making my job harder, which means I'm more likely to need your services. Like, you know, whether you want to spend time doing that or not, I'm just saying, if, if you feel more confident about yourself, we can change that. Or we can go to the college and say, hey, the way this rule is written right now, if we actually all followed it, you realize like that way less patients would actually get served. 
you know? And we advocate for those changes if we feel like we can do that from a place of empowerment once we know that we're not under the gun or that we have no control really over if a particular patient sues us or not. So reflection time. Where in your life is your fear of being sued or complained about keeping you from stepping into your most authentic practice of medicine? How could these desired changes actually help prevent future lawsuits and complaints? Like let's, you know, if you're going to have that fear around, how can you like, I hear you fear, but guess what? If we actually practice, you know, getting our charts done after each patient encounter, I know you'll be scared about getting sued, but guess what? If we get all of the details and we at least do a draft and we get out like as much as we can in these next five minutes, my brain's going to be fresher and that's going to prevent me from getting sued. Isn't that amazing fear brain? Come on, sit next to me as we, you know, do this, right? We can talk kindly to this part of ourselves. How would they offer you the peace and confidence to know you'll be okay even if a lawsuit or complaint comes your way? which is completely out of your control anyway. Okay. This one was a bit longer. I actually had to do it in two segments because it only allows me to record 30 minutes at a time, but I feel so strongly about it. It's one that I actually see quite clearly. And I, it's not that I have no fear of it, but I have so much less fear of it because I'm like, oh, so much of this is completely out of my control. And I know what to do within my control that will make me feel better and actually lower my chance of these things happening. If this resonates with you, I would love if you let me know. Reach out to me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter now too, actually, at Joan Chan MD. And if you want more personalized support with this work, because this fear stuff, it can grip you. And if you need, you know, my coaching and practice as you start to take different actions and you feel yourself wobbly about the fears that live in you, you can visit my website, joanchanmd.com, and look at my one-on-one coaching options and my workshops. I hope to interact with you in those ways soon. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Take care. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill-building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there.